0: Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. Our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
1: Nathan Philbrick once said, In all natural disasters through time, man needs to attach meaning to tragedy, no matter how random and inexplicable the event is. Welcome to Christian Questions, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And you might say that ours is a long-term approach, as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years.
2: And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term, different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 990th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years.
1: And we figured it was time to bring the good news of the whole, to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. And, uh, folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, uh, Facebook, and our chat board, and so forth. And let's get started. And our chat board is located at ChristianQuestions.com. Click on the Listen Live button, and you'll get right there to the chat board. So, Jonathan, for today, we have a very specific, very, almost in a, in a sense, a very narrow subject that we want to deal with. What's the question, and what's the theme scripture?
2: Well, Rick, our question is, are natural disasters sending us a message? And our theme text is found in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 19. Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath. Even a whirling tempest, it will swirl down on the head of the wicked.
1: And that doesn't sound very good, now does it? (laughs) No, it doesn't. (laughs) Look, as time goes on. Many of us will look back at 2017 and remember it as a year of storms. We have had storms of political division and unrest, storms of tragic events ranging from terrorism to the senseless taking of innocent lives, and we have had literal storms, specifically three major hurricanes that came back to back to back and left a wake of devastation, homelessness, loss, and death. Now, it's the hurricanes, the natural disasters, that we want to focus on today. Are these events a coded message from God? Is God punishing us for our blatant sin or is he telling us to mend our foolish ways? Now look, if you don't believe in God, could these natural disasters be a coded message from Mother Nature, letting us know that we have messed with her precious and vital ecosystem for far too long? Are there lessons here for us to learn? So Jonathan, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're really focusing on natural disasters and God. And, and as we begin to open up the subject, folks, it's always our objective with each subject that we choose to approach it in a biblical, very relevant, practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite. We try and find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you, to, to some, to give you something to really, really think about. So go ahead. Well, Rick,
2: this really hits home for us, these natural disasters. And I am sure that if we personally weren't affected, we know someone that probably was. And it's heartbreaking uh, for loss and tragedy such as this right in our backyard.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. You live somewhere and one day your house is, is swept away or destroyed by 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 the hurricane or the, the the storm surge or whatever it is, it's just it's gone or or irreparably damaged or you've got to start over and you're right, if it hasn't affected you, it probably has affected somebody that you know. So you're right, it does hit home in a very real way. So here the question is: is God behind this? Is he sending us a message? So let's get started with this with a sound bite from some who think that that may in fact be the case. This is RWW News. This is Rick Joyner and Jim Baker uh, talking about God's judgment. And uh, let's just get their take on it. They're talking about, specifically about Hurricane Harvey and uh, basically saying it was no accident.
0: But the real issue with the weather and everything else on the earth has to do with sin and wickedness
2: or righteousness. That's what, the, the whole earth will cry
0: out, you know, because of, you know, the shedding of innocent blood. Yes. The earth cries out and things like that. That's what throws nature off more than dumping CO2. I have felt,
3: and I was afraid to share with anybody, Mm -hmm. that this flood is, is from God. It's a judgment on America somehow. Am I off,
4: or do you feel like it could be? Yeah. I think anything like
0: this, it's not by accident. Those, these things, kinds of things don't happen by accident.
1: So, you know, Jim Baker was the one who said, I think this flood is, is, is a judgment of God. And uh, Rick Joyner was the one who said, well, yeah, yeah, all of these kinds of things. So one of them seems a little bit more committed to the specific event than the other, but they're in agreement that this disaster, specifically that particular hurricane, is from God. And the question is, is it? Do they have a legitimate point? That's what we're going to be discussing and unfolding uh, today in, in, in this episode of Christian Questions. So, Jonathan, for us to determine accurate, biblically-based answers, and I, we, we don't want to care about tradition, we don't want to care about opinion, we want accurate, biblically-based answers. In order to, to establish those, we need to establish the patterns that God used in Scripture when he employs natural events. So, we've come up with three basic key questions that we're going to ask again and again and again throughout this podcast. What are they?
2: Well, Rick, the first one is, what natural event is God using?
1: Okay, in scripture, God did use natural events, and we will see that. So, what natural event is God using? What's the second question?
2: Who is being affected by the event?
1: So how far reaching does that particular event, whichever one we're going to be discussing, who does it reach? And then finally, why
2: are they being affected and how did it happen?
1: So basic questions, we're going to be examining several natural events throughout the scriptures and take a look and see if we can see the pattern of how God works through these things. So, folks, if you have comments, please let us know, again, via the chat board, uh, which is at ChristianQuestions.com. You can also, uh, you know, message us on on Facebook and so forth. We'd love to hear from you. So, Jonathan, first let's touch on the fact that God has set up the brilliance of nature. And, you know, there is a brilliance in the way nature actually works. Job chapter 36, verses 26 to 29 is a good place to start.
2: Behold... God is exalted, and we do not know him. The number of his years is unsearchable, for he draws up the drops of water. They distill rain from the mist, which the clouds pour down. They drip upon man abundantly. Can anyone answer the spreading of the clouds, the thundering of
1: his pavilion? So this is interesting because in the book of Job, you have a very straightforward description of how rain happens, you know. It says he draws up the drops of water into the clouds, and they spill out and 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 pour them out upon man abundantly. That's the process. And, and look, with a hurricane, you have the incredible amounts of warm moisture drawn up from the ocean into those clouds, and that's what gives it such great power and intensity. So. In the book of Job, and this is interesting because you know, in the last several weeks, we've been referring to those who look at the Bible with such great skepticism and, you know, and say it's a book of fairy tales and so forth. Here you have the, the natural cycle of, of rain described in an age long before anybody would really tend to know it because Job was written really early on in terms of Scripture. So just, just a little sidelight there, but you have the brilliance of nature. Now, God has put nature in place to give everyone on the earth an opportunity to live. Now, granted, the world is full of sin and death, but still, the balance of nature gives everyone an opportunity to live. And Jesus talks about that in Matthew 5, 43 to 45.
2: You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father, who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous.
1: So there's an interesting verse, because Jesus is first of all saying that, uh, you know, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The scriptures didn't say that, but the, the traditions of the Pharisees added the hate your enemies part to the love your neighbor part. And he's saying, no, I'm telling you something different. I'm saying, love your enemies. I'm saying, pray for those who persecute you. I am saying, that is what God wants you to do because God provides rain upon the righteous and the unrighteous. So there is an incredible lack of judgment in nature according to the words of Jesus, that one verse. Now, we can't base everything on one little verse on just a few words, but that gives us a really important place to start. And Jesus is saying, God spreads the abundance of nature to everyone. And, you know, folks can argue, and I'm sure they will. Well, in some places, there's deserts. Yes, there are. And in some places, they get too much rain. Yes, they do. And in some places, there's lots of floods all the time. You're right. That's just the makeup of the imperfect earth okay? But the, 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 the theme is that there is the ability to have uh, nature feed the planet, because otherwise there would be nobody left. So we've got that. We've got that just general, natural look. So now let's take a look at God using the occurrence of rain as a way to bless people. We're going to start out with the idea of rain, uh, much more specifically in the next segment. But He uses rain as a way, as a specific way to to bless specific people. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 10 to 14.
2: For the land into which you are entering to possess it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you used to sow your seed and water it with your foot like a vegetable garden. But the land into which you are about to cross to possess it, and a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rain in heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, from the beginning even until the end of the year.
1: So in that verse, he's talking about the promised land, the land of Canaan. And he's saying in that land, there is a very strong pattern of the the land being watered through
2: the... And, And it's often known, Rick, as the land... Flowing with milk and honey.
1: Yes. And as a matter of fact, we're going to get to that in a few segments. That very specific phrase um, about the land and Israel going to inherit that. So, so God is saying, I'm bringing you to a land where the natural cycles are, are really in good shape. Okay? They're really in good shape. And you can say, aha! So God doesn't make the natural cycles and all of the earth in good shape. You're right. He doesn't. It's just the imbalance of the imperfect world. That's just part of the way things are. So this land was obviously the place that God wanted his people to be, able to freely worship him. He was bringing them to that land so they could worship him freely, clearly, and easily. So let's finish these verses. Deuteronomy 11, let's go to verses 13 and 14.
2: It shall come about, if you listen obediently to the commands which I'm commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and late rain that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil.
1: So he's saying that there is going to be in this land, I will bless you with the, the process of nature watering your crops so that you can have abundance coming from the ground. And look, Jonathan, that's a great thing. Oh, of course it is, Rick. And, but he says at the beginning, I'm sorry, you're going to say something? No, no. Oh, okay, okay. You know, at the beginning he says, in verse 13, it shall come about if you listen obediently. So there's an if there. There's a very specific if. If you listen obediently to what? To... His commands. Right, to my commandments. So now he is, he has, in Deuteronomy, he has brought them out. He's brought them out of slavery. And he's talking to them through Moses and basically telling them, look, this is what I have planned for you, but you're going to have to be obedient. You're going to have to follow the conditions that I am setting out for you. So it's kind of interesting. There's a little bit of, almost a little gotcha here, like, wait a minute. So we have to do something to get that natural process that you were talking about?
2: Yeah, and Rick, I love the subject, talking about our natural disaster, sending us a message, because we're going to be using all four different elements, water, earth, wind, and fire, as examples, because we want to cover the full gamut to understand how God truly, truly works.
1: Right. So each of the next four segments, we're going to focus on one of those things. We're not going to use music from earth, wind, and fire. Because if they had <laughs> called themselves Earth, Wind, Fire, and Water, we might have considered it. But because they didn't, we won't. Okay? Just saying. All right. So so you're right. And, and see, that's important, Jonathan, because this is a big question. Are natural disasters sending us a message? There's, natural disasters are more than just hurricanes. There's yes. earthquakes. There's lightning. You know, I, I mean, you look at wildfires that are, that are started by lightning. You know, there's volcanic eruptions. There's floods, you know, tornadoes so there's all of these natural these four natural elements support us in this world but they can also be very create great great disaster does god control those things to send us a message so the conditions being god's chosen in his chosen land are really really simple okay fidelity to his ways will bring you a rich earthly harvest and now, Jonathan, I want to pause there for a second because it says, Fidelity to his ways will bring you a rich earthly harvest. Will bring who a rich earthly harvest? Who's he talking to in Deuteronomy?
2: Rick, he's talking to his chosen
1: people. Okay, this is really important to understand. He is talking to his chosen people. Will bring you, my chosen people, bringing you into the land that I have chosen for you. Obey my commandments, have fidelity. To me, God Almighty, and you will receive a rich earthly harvest. The consequences of straying from Him are implied to be a withholding of such abundance. And in the next segment, we're going to begin to look at that. So, the introduction here, Jonathan, is simple. the The brilliance of nature is in place, but sometimes nature, in an imperfect world, gets out of hand. Is God behind nature getting out of hand? Okay, implying the withholding of rain is one thing. But what about a fierce hurricane? Is God pounding us with this?
2: If he is, it seems harsh. Let's get
1: to the basics.
2: Does God use nature as a tool to impart his will? How did he use rain, or lack thereof, to make his point?
0: As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side, time to go in reverse with a CQ Contradiction. <laughs>
1: So as we go down this road of God using, altering, or timing natural events, it's important to establish right from the start that God was never arbitrary in his use of nature. As we shall see, he always uses it for a specific purpose, at a specific time, and in a specific way. And the bottom line of that, Jonathan, is really simple. God knows what he's doing. And I think we need to establish that. And, and that's our premise. Our premise here to in, in dealing with natural disasters and the hurricanes, and is God sending us a message? Is he, is, he, is he aiming these hurricanes at certain people for certain reasons? Whatever God does, he has very specific, clear, well-defined reasons, and there's no arbitrary thinking behind it. So we're going to use that as a basis. And let's go back to another soundbite, Uh, from those who would see things from the standpoint of, oh, God is absolutely aiming things at specific people to send specific messages. This is from Pastor Kevin Swanson on God's Vengeance Through Hurricanes. So he's very, that's the YouTube title, okay? God's Vengeance Through Hurricanes. It's a very clear message that he's sending. So let's listen.
3: Hurricane Katrina contributing $110 billion of damage. Now Hurricane Harvey has come and hit Houston now back to New Orleans and it, it looks like this hurricane has done something like 50 to 60 billion dollars of damage being the probably the third most devastating hurricane to hit America now of course, of course. in the perspective of everybody out there that uh, takes more of a secular worldview, God has nothing to do with these hurricanes. God, God doesn't want Houston to repent. God doesn't want New Orleans to repent. God doesn't want the nation to repent. I mean, what in the world do they have to repent of? Uh, do you want the top ten or just alphabetical? <laughs> I mean, there's tons of well, things. Well, there's lots of things to repent yeah. of. See, again, Jesus sends the message home. Unless they repent, unless Americans repent... Unless Houston repents, unless New Orleans repents, they will all likewise perish. That's the message that the Lord Jesus Christ is sending home right now to America. Is America listening?
1: So, Jonathan, their take on this is Jesus is sending them. Now, I don't know how he connected Jesus with these hurricanes, I, the, the Hurricane Harvey. I, I didn't get that, but. Right, me neither. But he's saying that this is the message of Jesus. You have to repent. And he's saying, Well, don't they have a lot to repent from? You know, and and of course there's a sarcasm. Well, you know, do you want it just alphabetically or you know the top ten? Well, how do you how do you want the list? And that's true. You know, the world is full of sin, but it's not just in Houston, it's not just in New Orleans, it's not just in New York City, it's not just, you know, in Chicago or Los Angeles or San Francisco or or some other place. It's not just in the Middle East. It's not just in Europe. It's not just in Asia. It's not just in Australia. It's everywhere. So the question is, are these natural disasters sent by God to, to shake us out of lethargy to say, wake up, will you please, because you are on the wrong track and I'm going to give you devastation to prove to you that you have to change your ways. Is that what these are for? And again, I haven't answered yet, and I'm dying to, but I'm going to hold, hold myself just for a little bit longer. So, so Jonathan, let's get into an actual, uh, um, a couple, this segment, we're going to use actually two specific events. So what's the first question?
2: What natural event
1: is God using? So here we're going to be talking about God using rain and water. Now in the first example, it's going to be an example of God withholding rain and water. So, next question. Who is being affected by the event? Okay, who's being affected um, by the event? Let's take a look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, and talk about a natural event that happened in terms of the withholding of rain.
2: Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, Before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years
1: except by my word. So, Elijah is proclaiming years of really devastating drought. That's a natural disaster. That is. You know, you think about a hurricane as a natural disaster, and it certainly is. Drought is also a devastating natural disaster, Now, but here's the thing. You know, the question was, who's being affected by this event? Who were the ones that this drought affected? Well,
2: Rick, it was God's own rebellious people. They're the ones that are affected here.
1: All right, so it's God's own people that this drought is focused on. It's not focused on the bad people in some other city somewhere. It's focused on God's chosen, blessed people. So let's just take that as a basis The next question is, I'll ask the question, then you can give us the scripture and give us the answer here. Why are they being affected and how did it happen? Let's go to James chapter 5, verses 17 to 18.
2: Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, Rick, Elijah was a good man, a man of God, a prophet, and God used him to send a message. The danger today, Rick, is listening to those who profess being prophets and aren't God's (laughs) real mouthpiece.
1: Okay, and, and and you know, we're going to get into a little bit of that later on, but that's so true, that we have to be listening to the right messages to find the ones that are from God versus the ones that are not. So the withholding of rain was exactly what God had forewarned what would happen if his people turned away from him. He told them through Elijah, because, now this is King Ahab. Remember, Ahab marries Jezebel. Jezebel yeah. is about as as awfully pagan as you could possibly be and the corruption in israel was at a major 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 high level okay so this is a difficult time and elijah comes and says because now remember deuteronomy obey my commandments have allegiance to me and i'll do all of these good things for you sure okay just think about that were they obeying god Not here at this time. No, not at all. Did they know the law? Oh, yeah. All right. They knew God's law, and yet they did not obey God's law. So God had forewarned them. He told them, back in Deuteronomy, they knew the law through the history of Israel, and now here, they knew. They knew. there There was accountability. Yeah, and that's the point. That's the point. That's exactly the point. There was something that they had to be accountable for because they knew God. The, right. God didn't send this this to, to all of the other nations who didn't know him. Okay, he sent it specifically to, to Israel. Okay, um, go ahead, Jonathan.
2: Well, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us both on Instagram and Twitter. We have lots of exciting things happening, including Rick Trivia Tuesday, Featuring a
1: not very well known fact
2: about the Bible.
1: And then, of course, there's Thankful Thursday, which has a different post each week about something that we are thankful for. And we look forward to hearing from you about what you might be thankful for.
2: And to top it off, Frick, we have Flashback Friday highlights of previous Christian questions program from the archives that you might have missed.
1: Okay, so social media is a, is a place to be in touch with us, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and of course, ChristianQuestions.com to get to the chat board. Uh, Jonathan, we got a comment or a question here from Trish, so let's uh, see what's going on.
4: Well, just as a quick question, um, as you're going through this, uh, maybe you're planning on talking about it, but <clears throat> you said that, you know, the question is, is God responsible for these things? And that last soundbite was about the ministers thinking that, yes, definitely these are from God. So my question is, well, aren't they really from God? Because in the beginning, when God, if you believe in God and you believe in creation, he sends people out into the unfinished earth. The reason we have all these things is because of the unfinished earth. Isn't God trying to get us our get our attention from the standpoint that He's kind of left us to ourselves, and this is what happens?
1: Okay, all right. That's a good question. That's a good question. So is God trying to get our attention because he's, He sent us out into this unfinished earth, and that's where all of this mess is? So. I'm going to hold on to that question just for a couple minutes, okay? And we're going to come back around to it, because it's an important question that deserves a very specific, clear answer. Uh, And Jonathan, we're going to go now to a a soundbite that is, we've got a couple of soundbites this podcast that that are dedicated to those who may not believe in God, but still may believe that these natural disasters are trying to tell us something. So this is uh, from Conservation International, okay? This is a produced little short video julia roberts is the narrator and she is speaking as mother nature so we broke this little this little video up uh the audio of it into two pieces this is essentially mother nature speaking to us so um let's just uh, see what mother nature has to say
5: some call me nature Others call me Mother Nature. I've been here for over four and a half billion years. 22,500 times longer than you. I don't really need people, but people need me. Yes, your future depends on me. When I thrive, you thrive. When I falter, you falter. or worse.
1: I don't know. Mother Nature sounds pretty mad, doesn't she?
2: Very dramatic.
1: That's very for sure very stern. And you know, the point is, I don't need you people. You're just a little little blip on the on the on the radar screen. and I've been here, I'll be here, you know. When I falter, you falter. And so, so asking a lot of questions, but coming across in a very stern way in a similar fashion to the way these pastors are coming across to us. Stern in relation to God. So, you know, if you believe in nature, okay, there you go. Or if you believe in God, okay, there you go. The question is, are either of them sending us a message? And, and Jonathan, I, I got I to gotta say it at this point. The answer is no. No, 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 absolutely not. Hurricanes being aimed at places are not sending mankind a message. A tornado doesn't drop down someplace to send mankind a message. An earthquake doesn't happen or lightning doesn't strike to send mankind a message. Not here, not now. Why am I so (laughs) utterly emphatic about that? Because as we will see, the patterns of God tell us so. That's the only reason that we can be emphatic is when we see the patterns of God laid out for us. So, we saw the withholding of rain, and you said, who, was, who did it affect?
2: It affected God's chosen people.
1: Okay, so now let's go to another natural event that God is using again, using rain and water. But this time, it's a deluge, and you know where we're going with that. Oh, we,
2: we're heading to the flood, right?
1: We are, okay? So the question, who's being affected by the event? So Jonathan, give us the answer with that, Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8.
2: Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of thought of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord."
1: So, God is, you, you can see this this almost grief over the turn that creation had taken uh, as a result of the the evil, the deep, dark, and powerful evil that had corrupted mankind by the fallen angels.
2: So, and Rick, go ahead. just a few verses before this explains the gross sin of the angels actually mating with women and having children called Nephilim, which are a hybrid race, uh, which had great strength and power, and they could lord it over humankind.
1: So there is this, this, this powerful race that was not part of God's design.
2: It was an imbalance, Rick. Right.
1: It was, it was a gross imbalance. It wasn't just a little bit off to the left or a little bit off to the right. It wasn't something you could adjust there, there was a gross imbalance happening here. In a world where sin was allowed, that's a gross imbalance. So you can imagine how far off that is. So the next question is what? Why are
2: they being affected, and how did it happen?
1: So we've got to get to the answer to that, and of course we only have a couple minutes here. But God, God planned for the preservation of his creation through Noah. See, you know, we all look at the destruction and say, oh, look at what God destroyed. Look what he preserved. Look what he preserved. Let's look at Genesis six fourteen. Make for yourselves an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the
2: ark with rooms, and shall cover it inside and out with pitch.
1: So this was a vessel of deliverance for the human race. God's grace gave them deliverance. Genesis seven seventeen and 18.
2: Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark, so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of
1: the water. So the necessary destruction came as a result of the level, and you talked about that, of evil practiced by spiritual beings as they violated God's rules of creation and created a hybrid race. And that hybrid race was meant to rule, and that was not acceptable to God. And, and the interesting thing is, well, let, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, and then we'll wrap this up.
2: For if God spared not messengers when they sinned, but to pits of gloom, consigning them in the lowest Hades, delivering them up to be kept unto judgment, and an ancient world spared not, but with seven others preserved, Noah, a proclaimer of righteousness, a flood upon a world of ungodly persons, letting loose.
1: So he preserved these, these sinful angels, spiritual beings in pits of, it says Hades, pits of darkness, pits where they were confined, where their their ability to have effect was dramatically limited. And they were kept there because they're going to be judged as a result of what they did. This world that was was going to be destroyed and Noah was going to be the carrier of life through that destruction. And it's saying that God provided a way out of that awful thing. But here's the thing. The scripture says, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So what does that tell you? It tells you that their people knew what was coming. That's right. There was right and wrong, and it was known. And, and, and it was made known by the man who built the ark, okay? So look, we, we're, we're almost out of time for this segment, Jonathan. What can we learn from God's use of rain and water, be it too little or too much? Three basic points
2: disobedience by those who absolutely knew better was met with consequences
1: the angels knew better and they were met with grave consequences hum- ahab and god's chosen people in
2: the other example knew better Rick.
1: right they had god's law the human race at that point jonathan was connected very closely even though it was 1600 years to noah uh, to, to, from noah to, to adam i mean Adam, there's like three generations, three or four generations between Adam and the flood. Adam knew Lamech, and Lamech knew Noah, I think, or something to that effect. And so it's like my son telling a story about my father or my grandfather. That's how close they were. They knew of man's disobedience. They knew. Okay, what's the second point?
2: God provided sufficient notice of what would happen.
1: It said that uh, in one of the scriptures we didn't read that uh, Noah was a preacher of righteousness and God gave them 120 years. So it's not like there was no time to think about it. Noah was working at letting them know about their unrighteousness for a long, long time. And what's the third point?
2: God's earthly demonstrations of sovereignty were dynamic and directed to his earthly
1: people. His people who knew of the story of Adam The angels who knew God directly, they were his people. So this dramatic flood was not something that was sort of out of the ordinary without warning to just any arbitrary person. Everyone was in a state of accountability at that point in time. So it seems like God's approach is to be tough with those who know that he can be tough.
2: True, but we're just beginning. The first element was water. Does God use earth-related events to further prove his sovereignty?
0: We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app, and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence, now let's put it together.
1: When we think about Earth and natural disasters, we think about earthquakes. Mexico, just a month ago, experienced its strongest earthquake in a century, which just piles more natural disaster tragedy upon the recent hurricanes. Does God use earthquakes to get people's attention? And, and Jonathan, at this point, I want to go back to Trisha's question from the last segment, because she's saying, well, wait, you're saying it's not from God, but isn't it kind of from God because God, you know, put man into the unfinished earth, and that's what happens here. And that's true. God did allow man to experience sin, and all of the consequences of sin are, in fact, imbalanced in, in a lot of different ways. The difference is, God is not aiming a storm at this one or that one for any arbitrary reason. Houston, oh, they need to repent, so let's send them a uh, major, major hurricane and flood. You know, New Orleans needs to repent. Let's send them a major hurricane or flood.
2: Well, how about adding a question on top of another question? Could Satan control these elements?
1: You know, and that's an interesting question, and the answer is yes, and now— do we have a lot of evidence toward his controlling of e- elements right here and now? No, not necessarily, but he is called the prince of the power of the air. He is. But, you know, when you look at one specific instance in the life of Jesus, the storm on the Sea of Galilee, I think that Satan was absolutely behind that storm, trying to, to, to derail the ministry of Jesus. And he figured, I could, I could just sink the boat, you know, and that'll be that. Not so good, not so much. Peace be still, and it's over. And, you know, it shows that Jesus had power over those things. So it's interesting because are these things from God because he put us into the, into the sinful world? No. The experience of sin, and I'm going to say it in a re- weird way, the experience of sin is a gift from God because it's a terminal experience. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end and then eternity follows where sin goes away. So God gives us that experience and all the things that come with it so that we can see uh, what we are missing by being with God. But does he aim hurricanes? Does he aim tornadoes? Does he aim earthquakes? No, no, not here, not now. Has he ever done things similar to that? Yes. So what's the difference? Stay with us and find out. Okay, let's go back to, Jonathan, another soundbite. Again, Pastor Kevin Swanson on God's vengeance through hurricanes. Remember, he was talking about, uh, you know, well, what, is, uh, what does Houston have to repent of? What does New Orleans have to repent of? And, you know, a little bit of sarcasm in there, but, like, you know, they really are sinful, and he's right about that. They really are. So let's listen to a next another little little piece of his, of his discussion.
3: Stuff to repent of. Now, we're not saying that it's a one-for-one. One. We're not saying that God sent the hurricane just because— of this but we are looking for stuff to repent of for the state of texas and for the city of houston we're hoping that they're paying attention we're hoping that they believe that there is a sovereign god who holds the entire universe in his hands and uh, f- fires up the, the, the stars that burn for billions, or can burn for billions of billions of years with uh, billions and billions and billions of kilowatts of fusion power. That this God who is all-powerful and has brought judgment upon the entire globe through a worldwide flood some 4,000 years ago and threatens to bring a, a judgment upon the entire world where he'll burn the world with fire and also provides for a hell for those who refuse to repent of their sins and trust in jesus christ as their savior so many places to go with that one jonathan so many places to go rick you're right
2: this sounds to me like uh dark ages theology based on fear but with the information age that we're living in we know better
1: yeah, we do. We know better. We can actually look up the verses. We can check the context. You know, in the Dark Ages, Scripture was not abundant. Everybody didn't have a Bible. They didn't have concordances. We, we didn't have the ability to put things together topically the way we do today. And no one
2: could speak Greek or, or Hebrew or Latin right. at, at the time. So they didn't know what these words meant, and uh, unfortunately, many people lorded it over— the masses.
1: Yeah, you know, and the idea of, you know, what, 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 what that, that pastor, and look, I, I know that he has really, really good intentions, and I know he's, he's, he's speaking from his, his heartfelt beliefs, and I appreciate that, you know, and I appreciate his zeal, but I think it's just misplaced. It's totally, utterly misplaced, because all he's talking about is God is going to judge and he's going to create havoc for you, he's going to create havoc for you, and he's going to burn those people in hell. And when you add up those that he creates havoc for and those that end up in hell— There is no such place. That's another story. According to that kind of doctrine, and then those who are saved, what you find statistically is those who are saved are minuscule in relation to those who experience torment. Really? God is really not so smart if that's the way it ends up happening. I'm sorry. You know, God just doesn't know how to play the odds. He's not not smart enough with enough foresight to know what will get to the people. Or did he create the people so they could turn so bad that the masses, the billions of them, just need hurricanes and earthquakes and firestorms to come upon them? I mean, come on. That is not the God of the Bible. It is not, even though a lot of people think it is. So, we got to get moving, Jonathan. I know I'm I'm getting long-winded, but I apologize. So, what's the next kind of natural event that that God's going to use?
2: Um, It's, well, what natural... God God will use the shifting of the physical earth, Rick.
1: Okay, so we're going to be talking about the earth, earthquake-type things. Who is being affected by this event? Jonathan, who, who, who are the people in, in question here, and, and give us a little description of them.
2: Well, Korah and his kin were Levites, and as such were held in high esteem and honored within the nation as those who assisted in the worship of God.
1: So Korah is the individual. He was a Levite. This is when Israel was wandering in the wilderness after their, uh, their deliverance from slavery. And there's an uprising. The Levites were the ones who were responsible for the sacrifices and all of the rituals of honoring and serving God. And so Korah was a highly esteemed Levite who had a part in all of that. So let's go to Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 5.
2: Now Korah and Dathan and Abram And on took action, and they rose up before Moses, together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown.
1: So there is an uprising, and they rose up before Moses, and what did they say? They assembled together
2: against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So, why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord?
1: So, they're accusing Moses of exalting himself. Now, this is almost laughable, because Moses is such a humble man. He didn't want the role of leadership. He was known as the, the humblest man on earth. Right. He asked for Aaron to be his mouthpiece, because he yeah. just didn't, didn't feel like he was capable. So, when you see this... Uh, Moses' reaction is, is re- really tells the story, and that's in, in. let's read verses 4 and 5 of Numbers 16.
2: When Moses heard this, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to himself. Even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. Go ahead. Rick, God has chosen to exact his punishment against those interfering in God's will.
1: And he's working through Moses, just like he was working through Elijah. There is a there's a there's a, a connection by choosing someone who has got the strength that is built upon the humility to do things God's way, okay? So what what's the next question now?
2: Why are they being affected and how did it
1: happen? Okay. Korah his family and his Levite associates were seeking unmerited power. They wanted the power that God had given to Moses. They wanted the position. They wanted the authority. You know, Proverbs sixteen eighteen has a lot to say about that.
2: Oh, it does, Rick. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling.
1: Okay, so you know, you'll know look at that and you say, wow, you know, got to be careful of that. Well, they weren't. Numbers 16, verses 12 to 14. Now remi- remember, Jonathan, these are the people that were delivered from slavery. They saw the miracles of God. They're in the, in the desert, and things aren't going really great, but they were delivered from slavery. Let's, let's see what happens. Then
2: Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abram, and they said, We will not come up. It is not enough that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness, but you would also lord it over us. Indeed, you have not brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men?
1: We will not come up. So Moses summons them because he's trying to talk to them, and he's saying, and Jonathan, here's the the deception in their own minds. They're deceiving themselves. It's not enough that you brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey. Sure, that's a Egypt? land. Yeah, yeah. What? A land where you, for 142 years, were slaves, where you had oh. no rights, and you were beaten down, and you were pushed and pressed, and killed in 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 the service of of of, of horrible, horrible masters. So. They're looking back on that and saying, you haven't brought us to the land of milk and honey. You brought us out of the land of milk and honey. No, we're not going to listen to you. They're off. They had personal history with the deliverance of God. And Jonathan, when you have personal history like they did, there's accountability. Oh, yeah. There is definitely accountability there. So they revealed their true allegiance, and it was not to God nor was it to the man whom God had chosen to lead them. Because who was the one who orchestrated, by God's hand, all of those plagues? It was Moses. Moses. Who was the man who led them out of Egypt? Moses. Moses. Who was the man who stood there when the sea parted? Moses. Moses. So they, were, they had personal experience with God's deliverance, and they chose to just throw it to the wind. What happens? Numbers 16, 23-26.
2: Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get back from around the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Then Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abram with the elders of Israel following him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men, and thou touch nothing that belongs to them, or you will be swept away in all their sin.
1: So, you know, there's kind of like a standoff that's starting to happen here. It, it's like you've got the two sides in be, before each other. They wouldn't come to Moses, so Moses went to their tents and, and announced to all of Israel, get away from this group of individuals. Stand far away from all of their belongings. He is setting up something that's going to happen. I don't know about you, Jonathan, but knowing Moses working the hand of God You'd think you'd say, wait a minute, we've seen Moses in this role before. Oh, I don't I know. we better listen. <laughs> right. I don't know. We've seen him do this kind of thing a dozen times already or more. Maybe there's something happening. But no. So they were warned. They're, these are God's chosen people. This is not just arbitrary people who had no experience with God. They had direct experience of God's miraculous deliverance. Moses actually proclaimed what would happen before it happened. They were warned. They had been delivered. They saw miracles. What happens? Numbers 16, uh, 31, and 32.
2: As he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households, and all the men who belonged to Korah, and their possessions.
1: There was an earthquake, and the earth split, and these people perished. And you say, wow, that's harsh. Well, what was harsh? Slavery was harsh. Being delivered was miraculous. And you know, Jonathan, they were, they were the ones who were responsible for helping to give honor to God, the one who had saved them from slavery. And they were the ones who rebelled. Yeah, there's harshness, but they deserved harsh treatment because God had dealt directly with them, there was nothing in between. God and, and Jonathan. When again, when you go to the Houston uh, uh, hurricane, because these these pastors seem to be focusing on Houston, God wasn't dealing directly with Houston. Give me a break, okay? You know the, the the circumstances behind this and those these hurricanes we've seen in the last couple of months completely, utterly, totally different circumstances. These were God's chosen people. So. What can we learn uh, from God's use of the earth and its ability to shift and, you know, earthquakes?
2: Well, Rick, disobedience by those who absolutely knew better was met with consequences.
1: And remember, they lived in the age of the law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. They lived in the age of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, Thou shalt have no other god before me. The first four commandments were all about honoring and worshiping God. And God promised them protection if they would follow his law. And he promised them consequences if they wouldn't. And they said, all these things we will do. They had agreed, and they didn't do it. So they knew better. They absolutely, positively, directly knew better. The second point is what?
2: God provided sufficient notice of what would happen.
1: Moses was, was clear and methodical in dealing with them. You know, when, when he heard what their accusation was, it said he fell down on his face. And I think that shows his humility. He was just, I think he was just overtaken with this saying, What are you people doing? This is God Almighty you were talking about. Don't mess around. It's going to hurt. You know, I mean, look, you, you, don't, you don't get involved in trying to play a game of chicken with God. That's what they were doing. You know, they're they're trying to see, okay, we're going to we're going to push Moses, he'll, he'll he'll step aside. He'll 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 give. No, he won't because he's representing God Almighty and this was an age of very strong justice. And what's the last point? God's
2: earthly demonstrations of sovereignty were dynamic and directed to his
1: earthly people. And that's the point. This was directed not to anybody else out there, but to those who knew him clearly plainly and intimately at that point in time. They had experienced being freed from slavery. They walked out of slavery into freedom. They were fed miraculously every day. God continually reminded them, and that's what happened. They rebelled against it, and there were severe consequences. So with this example, you can see why, by, uh, why many would, would view God as being very harsh.
2: That's true, but remember, they knew better. God's use of water and earth are clear, focused, and not arbitrary. What about his use of the wind?
0: Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com through all our social media channels and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together.
1: And Jonathan, as we see a pattern begin to develop with God using the elements of the physical world, we can draw a confident breath as the way he has displayed his sovereignty through these things shows us a God who is wise, thoughtful, and not a God who is angry and impetuous. And that's the way others seem to to, to present him. As we now look at his use of wind... We should accept expect the same. The the point, Jonathan, of going through the four elements, you know, uh, earth, wind, water, and fire, uh, is to say that God did use these elements in the Bible in specific circumstances. But what is to also say is He only used them in very specific circumstances, and there was never anything arbitrary, ever, ever. Anything arbitrary about how he used them, and to say that God aimed that tornado, you know, or that 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 hurricane at this city or that city or this state or that state or whatever because of their sin is arbitrary, because they are not His people, and that's the theme that we have seen. So, Jonathan, does God our natural disasters sending us a message from God? No, they're simply not. They are part of the natural sinful world. That's the message. No bigger, no smaller than anything else that happens in the world. That's it. So, and we have to understand that because we are doing an incredible disservice to God Almighty by attributing, you know, in the insurance world, you know, they used to call them acts of God. Yes, that's you know, right. And they stopped, thankfully, and now they call them, you know, acts of nature. So, you know, because the, and it's just such a misrepresentation. Uh, of god almighty so let, let's i'm I, I could just keep going but let, let's let's go what's what natural event is god going to use next jonathan Well, Rick, god used wind sometimes he withheld it or he released it okay so we're going to look at it a couple of different ways who's being affected by the event
2: well the first of two examples um, both god's chosen as uh, beneficiaries and the enemies of his chosen
1: are casualties okay so, you've got God's chosen ones are beneficiaries of what's going to happen, and the enemies of God's chosen, those who fight them, are going to be casualties of what's going to happen. Let's look at Exodus chapter 14, verses 21 and 22.
2: Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and turned the sea into dry land, so that the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall. To them, on their right hand and on their left.
1: So this is a tremendous use of of wind. I mean, it's it talks about this wind, and I, you know, there had to be other natural parts to this. But you know, you've got this strong east wind turned the sea into dry land, and so it gave them a path to escape. It gave them a pathway to freedom. That's what the wind did. It was for on behalf of his chosen people. So now, and, and I, I got ahead of myself because what was the question? <laughs> Why are they being affected and how did it happen? And again, that, the answer is <laughs> the wind gave his chosen dry land. It gave them a way of escape because he was being merciful to them and, and bringing them out from this horrible, horrible, horrible slavery. Uh, Of so many, so many decades and decades and decades of slavery, and but for those who pursued them, it became a path of destruction. They were after. Now think about those soldiers that were after the 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 children of Israel. Didn't they see the plagues? They couldn't have missed them, Rick. Didn't They they went
2: through every painful moment of each one?
1: Didn't every single household in Egypt have somebody they lost in that final plague that incidentally Pharaoh called down upon them? Uh, That's right.
2: The firstborn.
1: Right. So every one of those soldiers had experience with the power of God Almighty, and yet they're pursuing God's chosen people. They had personal experience that, that wasn't like it was you know, 30 or 40 years ago. It was just probably days or weeks ago before this event. So there is accountability, Jonathan. They knew the power of God was working for those people who were walking away from them and they pursued them. And what happened was they were destroyed. That's right. Let's go again. And, and now, you know, you, you see the clarity of God's working with wind there, okay? Let's go to the uh, back to RWW News, Rick Joyner and Jim Baker and God's judgment. Because again, they bring up something here about the Houston. These guys are focused on the, the the ones we chose are focused on the Houston Hurricane, and it just it just it just t- takes steps further and further away from sensibility and and true godliness. Let's listen.
0: You know, and if we don't get these clear messages, they're going to get more and more severe. Yeah. The Lord doesn't like to do things; He'd prefer mercy over judgment. But His judgments are mercy if we're not yes. listening. Yeah. If we're not listening we're not hearing and responding we have to stand up against the perversion of our times and
3: call it what it is do you remember what the mayor of houston did she ordered all the preachers to turn in their sermons before they preached them this
5: is the former mayor but
3: just remember god gets the last word yeah (laughs) god gets the last word Mm -hmm. Uh, be not deceived god is not mocked
1: now, look, I'm going to start with the last scripture, because that's true. Be not deceived, God is mo- not, marked, not mocked. What a man sows, he shall also reap. That absolutely will happen. But now, they were taking this Houston hurricane, which was in 2017, and they're drawing a conclusion, attaching it to the mayor of Houston from 2016. So now, this woman is no longer the mayor, okay? she, she She's out of office for a year now. And, and so you think, okay... If God, in fact, was trying to send Houston a message under that mayor, then he was a year late with his hurricane. How come? You know, Jonathan, it just doesn't make sense to me. It is just so far off, and it's so arbitrary, and it's, and it's a convenient excuse to show people the wrath of God. Just like you said earlier, I'm going to go back to that. You talked about the Dark Ages. The theology of the Dark Ages was the theology of fear. Make the people afraid, and they'll do what you want them to do. Make them afraid, and they'll pay you money. Make them afraid, and they'll be, they'll be nice little foot soldiers and, and, and just follow along. That's the theology that they're using here. That is not the way God uses wind, as, as we can see. There's always a reason, and it always has to do with His chosen people. And you notice, Jonathan, so far, we have not seen one specific example from the New Testament, have we?
2: Now, you're right. Now, that's a good question. So... Um, What about the example of the disciples that wanted to send down fire on the Samaritans that wouldn't let them lodge
1: there in in Samaria? What did Jesus say? Basically, he said, you guys, you know, you you have no idea what you're asking. You're you're off. That's not what I'm about here. And that's the point. The point was God—now, folks, listen carefully to this. God did use natural events to affect his natural people in the natural world. When it comes to Christianity, there is not one example of any kind of natural event, natural disaster used to further God's plan. Why? Why does he change? Because now it's about the spiritual people of God through Christ. And it's not about the physical earth, it's not about the the, the chosen people, it's not about the chosen land, it's about spirituality. So the experiences are different. Is that by accident? No, that's the design. So, yes, the, the, the apostles wanted to go back to the days of Elijah. Well, we could show them a thing or two. And Jesus utterly squashed the idea because it was out of context. Because they were living at a time where those things were no longer used or necessary. God was not about eye for eye, tooth for tooth anymore. It was now the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. So, let's go to the next event. Uh, who's being affected? It's going to be Jonah. Okay, we're going to just look at the just a little part of the, the, the example of Jonah and the great fish. Jonah chapter one, verses one through four. Here's how he gets into trouble.
2: The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amate, saying, Arise, go to Nivea, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up.
1: So, God used wind, a great wind, to disrupt Jonah going the absolute opposite direction of where God told him to go. Jonah's a prophet here, Rick. Yes, he is. And he was He's told. He's supposed
2: to do what God
1: says, right? Right. right. And he said go to Nineveh and preach against it, okay? And he doesn't want to, so he doesn't go. And God catches up with him through this great wind. This wind was Jonah's attention getter. And, but it did put other people's lives in jeopardy. I mean, it says the ship was about to break up. Now, the other men on the ship had nothing to do with Jonah. And what happens in the account is Jonah tells them, look, I'm the reason for this storm. Throw me overboard and you'll be saved. And they're like, no, we can't do that. And they have, they're noble. They try hard. And he keeps saying, No, you got to understand, you'll be fine. They throw them overboard and they're fine. What was the wind for? Jonah. Did it look to, to just wipe out people arbitrarily? No. 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 That's not God's way. Folks, get a grip on how God works and how he doesn't work. It's so important to realize God is bigger. Then this 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 immature, you know. Oh yeah, well I'll show you, you know. And, and it's sort of the, the, the it's very childish. It yeah, really is. It's, it's sloppy revenge, is what they're talking about. And that's God is God is just not that way, not even close. So uh, again, uh, what what's the next part of the Jonah story here? Well, this
2: wind uh, was Jonah's attention getter, as it put others. Lives in jeopardy.
1: So now, why are they being affected, and how did it happen? Let's go to Jonah chapter four, verse eight. Because Jonah finally goes to Nineveh after the belly of the fish and all of those things, and he preaches, and they're converted, and he is livid. He's mad. He's Shouldn't upset. He be happy? <laughs> he. I would think, but you know, Nineveh were, were, were enemies, and he just eventually they actually turn bad later on and were destroyed later on, but that's a different story. But Jonah is angry at the success of his preaching. And he told God, see, I told you if I preached to them, they'd, they'd be converted. And so now here's what happens to Jonah. Jonah chapter 4, verse 8.
2: When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better
1: to me than life. So the wind was for the purpose of getting Jonah's attention. This wind was God shaking Jonah back to the reality of his life and his true allegiance to the will of God. It wasn't to hurt anybody else. It was for Jonah.
2: And Rick, in our, our personal Christian walks, sometimes the Lord needs to shake us up and wake us up <laughs> to help us reset to get back on the right path when we stray. We Right. So it, it happens to us in a in a spiritual way.
1: But you know, and and, and I'm glad you the, the last the last phrase there is important. It happens to us in a spiritual way. It happened to Israel in a physical way because Israel was a physical nation in a physical land that God had given to them and had to suffer physical consequences because it all fit together. And so his use of all of these things was for Israel, his chosen people to teach them. Folks, there is no arbitrary Approach in God's way here. So what can we learn from God's use of the earth and its ability to shift? And Jonathan, the lessons we're going to talk about these three points are the same three points we've talked about with everything else so far. What are they?
2: Disobedience by those who absolutely knew better was met with consequences.
1: Now, think about it. The soldiers of Egypt knew better. They saw the power of God. It affected every one of their families. And yet they went after Israel anyway. They did know better, and it was a very raw new experience. Next point.
2: God provided sufficient notice of what would happen.
1: You know, when, if you remember when, when the, um, the army was trailing Israel, there was a, 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 a pillar of fire by night to, to protect Israel and a cloud by day. So they had that, that presence of God. And again, these individuals understood They saw the power of God physically before them and marched right into it anyway. And Jonah, he knew the power of God because he tried to run away from it. And so, you know, God doesn't do these things to try to get someone's attention who doesn't know anything about him. He does these things to those who do know something about him very directly and in a very ancient way. Doesn't do it anymore, but did a lot way back then. Last lesson.
2: God's earthly demonstrations of sovereignty were dynamic and directed to his earthly people.
1: In Exodus, the, he saved his people through wind. In Jonah, he tried to wake Jonah up through the, the, the use of that wind. It, it was for the purpose of his people, not just because he was angry and arbitrary. And, and I keep using that word arbitrary, but I can't think of a better word. God is focused. He's clear. He's direct. Let, let's take a minute, uh, Jonathan, and go to uh, our theme text. Um, because taken in context, the theme scripture that we read at the very beginning absolutely shows us another important point regarding God's word and natural elements, and that is much of what is written is highly symbolic. This text, spoken to Israel's false prophets uh, at the time of their 70 years of desolation, is one of those symbolic verses. So again, let's go to Jeremiah 23, and just read verses 19 and then add 20 and 21.
2: Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath, even a whirling tempest. It will swirl down on the head of the wicked.
1: Now, specifically, those false prophets, because that's who he was talking about. So it's not swirling down on the head of just arbitrary wicked people. Look at the prophecy. And in, in the Rewind bonus material, we've got the whole context laid out for you.
2: The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out the purposes of his heart. In the last days, you will clearly understand it. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied.
1: So he's saying these prophets were, were standing opposed to me, but talking, about, talking as though they represented me. And in a lot of ways, Jonathan, it, it seems very similar to what we're talking about with, with you know, the, the, all of the accusations of God sending this hurricane there and that earthquake there and that tsunami there and all of that.
2: It is very similar.
1: It is. And the anger of God is toward those who should know better. It's not uh, against just people who are just, you know, trying to figure out which, which, uh, which, which way to go with, with their lives. So, you know, the, the, the use of the earth, Jonathan, is very specific uh, in, in, these, in, the, uh, in, in these verses, and it gives us a sense that, uh, or I'm sorry, wind, uh, it gives us a sense that God has a reason and it has to do with his physical earthly people. So, whether it's literal or symbolic, the message is the same. God has ultimate control.
2: He does, and we have one element left. We have water, earth, and wind, and God remains reasonable. What about his use of fire from heaven?
0: Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive.
1: So as for natural disasters, hurricanes, floods, and earthquakes have all been at least addressed. Now, you know, there's a lot more that can be said here. What about fire? What about lightning or the horrible event of a volcanic eruption? As we will see, God does use these things of nature, but not at the expense of his already established integrity of action. Um, so, you know, we've got that, that sense. Of, and again, Jonathan, right now as we speak, there are wildfires burning out of control in California. And the right. uh, news today said like 1,500 homes in a day were destroyed by these fires that they can't get control of. Is God trying to get Californians' attention? No, it's a wildfire. Let's keep it where it belongs. Uh, but with that, Jonathan, let's just go back to let's go back to Mother Nature, okay? Uh, played by Julia Roberts in this uh, Convers- Conservation International short video uh, called "Nature Is Speaking."
5: But I've been here for eons. I have fed species greater than you. And I have starved species greater than you. My oceans. My soil. My flowing streams. My forests. They all can take you. Or leave you. How you choose to live each day, whether you regard or disregard me, doesn't really matter to me. One way or the other. Your actions will determine your fate, not mine. I am nature. I will go on. I am prepared to evolve. Are you?
1: Okay, so (laughs) angry. Angry. I don't need you. My oceans my earth, you know, my wind. And, and, you know, and I keep thinking as I'm listening to that, I'm saying, no, actually, they belong to God. No, actually, they belong to God. No, actually, it's not yours. (laughs) You're the created. (laughs) Let's get it straight. The creator is the one, and by his grace, he is sovereign, he is powerful, and he is wise, and he is merciful, and he is not sending storms at these targets to get people's attention. Not remotely close and we know that Jonathan because the Bible does not give us precedent to, use, to say that nowhere in scripture does it tell us that now you can say argue that well you know the scripture in Peter talks about and the earth was going to be burned up well there you go right read the next verse and what happens after it's burned up they all come together and worship God I mean so the earth isn't literally burned up you know well what about the great, the great earthquakes you know in Revelation yeah what about them it's symbolic, symbolic language, you know. What about the, the verse that says, "Well, God's gonna, you know, would we'll never destroy the world again by water, but you know, will ne- just next time destroy it by fire. He will purify and destroy evil. He will purify the anything that can be saved and destroy everything else. It's about the world, not the earth. There's a difference in scripture. But again, if you don't know scripture, you can't possibly know that. So the answer is. Go and try to find what the Scriptures truly teach, because God is benevolent. That's what we will see. Not this this immature little boy who's throwing all of these big, powerful things because he doesn't know how to handle them. So, where are we going next?
2: Well, Rick, what natural events is God using?
1: Well, let's talk about fire from heaven, because that's the last one. We haven't talked about that one yet. And who was being affected by the event? Let's talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, there's a classic for you, and uh, let, let's, let's touch on that. We only have one segment, so we can't get into the greatest detail. But here's the point. Their evil was exceedingly dark. About 15 years before their destruction, those cities were shown God. All right, let me say that again. About 15 years before their destruction, those cities were shown God, His ways, and His righteousness, They were shown God through the bravery of Abram, who became Abraham, and the blessing of Melchizedek. This, to me, Jonathan, is a shocking revelation that nobody ever talks about when they talk about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's look at Genesis chapter 14, 17 to 23. Then after
2: his return from the defeat of a very long name, which I can't pronounce, (laughs) and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most
1: High, a possessor of heaven and earth. So the king of Sodom goes out to meet with Abram because Abram was the one who went to rescue Lot, who was taken captive along with many people from Sodom and many, 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 many possessions from Sodom in a battle gone bad for Sodom. Abram and his brave men go and rescue not only Lot, not only the people of Sodom, but get all of their possessions back. And Abram is now going to give everything back to the king of Sodom. So he comes out to meet Abram, and here's Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is the priest of God Most High. And who's in front of him? The king of Sodom and Abram. And what does he say? Blessed be Abram of God Most High. God Most High, who is the possessor of heaven and earth, and let's continue in the verse.
2: And blessed be the God Most High, who has delivered your
1: enemies into your hand. Okay, okay. Who delivered the enemies? God Most High. How did how did the king of Sodom know? Melchizedek told him to his face.
2: Go ahead. He gave him a tenth of all. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, Abram, give the people to me, and take the goods for yourself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal or anything that is yours.
1: So Sodom, the king of Sodom says, look, take a part of of the spoil from this because you deserve it. And Abram's response was, no, 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 no. I didn't do this to get stuff. I'm returning everything to you. I wanted to rescue my nephew Lot. So now the king of Sodom knows Lot, knows that Abram is a man of God and owes his allegiance to Abram who saved his people and his possessions. So there's some kind of accountability there, isn't there, Rick? There is major account, Not some kind of little minimal thing. Jonathan, this is enormous. This is the king. This is not some little peon in the city who's experiencing this. This is the king. So don't tell me they didn't know about God. Don't tell me they didn't know about righteousness. Don't tell me they were in the dark and just left to their own devices. They had a real solid chance. They knew God and they knew that Abram and Lot's nephew, then they knew Abram and Lot's nephew worshiped God. Melchizedek made that plain. Now, having said all of that, Let's go to our final soundbite from Pastor Kevin Swanson on God's vengeance through hurricanes because he's making his points, which we're obviously going to have something to say about when he's done.
3: Now, I realize that the world mocks this kind of a message. These are the kinds of programs that get picked up on Right Wing Watched, and we're typically mocked for this kind of thing. You ask why we do these programs, because we want to be sure that everybody within reach of our voices gets the heads up. Unless you repent, you will likewise Perish and repairing your houses in Houston after a hurricane is useless if you're just going to go to hell repairing your houses after a hurricane only to go to hell afterwards is just not worth it hell is eternal destruction and there
1: is no repairing your houses or your lives in hell so Jonathan he's drawing a conclusion that there's no good answer to Okay, well, you're going to go to hell anyway, so why repair anything? And, and, now, and, and I put that soundbite there specifically, because now we're talking about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah by fire. Okay, and a lot of times, those who preach hellfire use the example of Sodom and Gomorrah and their destruction.
2: That's right, they do.
1: Okay, so we're going to use that, and then we're going to finish the story, because that's something that they somehow neglect to do with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. So let's go through that. So again, you know, the question now, why are they being affected and how did it happen? God, before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, actually went to verify their sin. Genesis 18, 20 and 21.
2: And the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if
1: not, I will know. So God literally sends messengers, literally, to go to the city, and on his way to the city, on the way, the, the two messengers, the angels of God, come upon Abram, and that's not in in the notes here, but they stop and they talk to Abram, and they tell tell Abram that he's you know he's going to have a son, Isaac, and, and all of that at this point, and then and then they reveal to Abram that they're going to Sodom, and you know, and, and Abram gets a little upset, you know, and says and and and. And, and their reasoning is, should we not tell Abram, whom God has blessed, to be the blesser of all the families of the earth, what God's plans are? And so they tell him. And Abram argues with God and says, look, you know, if there's but 50 righteous, wouldn't you save the city? And God says, sure, I would. Well, okay, what about 40? Sure. Okay, what about 30? Sure. What about 20? Sure. Oh God, please don't be mad, but what about 10? Sure. There weren't even 10 righteous. That's what ended up being the report. So there was a very clear uh, pathway to what was going to happen. So Sodom proves their culpability to destruction. We can only speculate what actually happened. Could have been lightning. Could have been a volcanic uh, eruption. There's some commentary commentaries that talk about that. In conjunction with the area's tar pits, which is an interesting point there's a scripture genesis 14 10 that talks about those you know so they they live in a very strange physical environment for whatever happened in their physical destruction but let's take a look at that because we're almost out of time here genesis 19 24 uh, and 25
2: then the lord rained on sodom and gomorrah brimstone and fire from the lord out of heaven and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground?
1: You know, when it says he rained fire and brimstone from heaven, you know, heaven means up there, the sky, in many, many, many cases. And for instance, you know, there's speculation that there was a volcanic eruption. And when a volcanic eruption happens, literally, the, 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 the burning brimstone is, and in that area of, of, of land, brimstone was everywhere as were these tar pits we were just talking about. So those things could have literally been launched into the air and they would have come down literally from the sky. And you look at that, you look up and say, look, what's coming from the sky? Well, no, it's coming from the earth, but you know, that's the route it's taking. So whatever it was, and I really don't know, I, I, I tend to think towards you know volcanic eruption, but whatever it was, it created utter destruction. Okay, um, and you think, okay, God destroyed everybody there. Now, they had a chance at knowing God. This utter destruction would be an historical reminder for ages to come of the degradation of sin, and this story, Jonathan, is continually used as an example of that. So it did play an important role in the lessons of mankind, but you think, well, that's a pretty steep price to pay, you know, if you're one of the people living in that city to be made an example of.
2: But the story's not over, Rick.
1: And that's the point. First of all, let's get back to the historical implication of that for the 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 and 7.
2: And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men.
1: So it's really talking about, in 2 in, in Peter, The condemnation, um, they were made an example of those who would live ungodly lives. It was an example. And you say, well, that's harsh. And you're right. There's a harshness to that. But they were also incredibly, incredibly dark and evil in the things that they did. But like you said, the story's not over. Because they're made an example of what sin brings. Sin brings destruction. Notice it doesn't bring torture and torment forever and ever
2: yeah, very thankful for a merciful heavenly father. Yeah,
1: there there was death, okay? And absolutely there was death. Let, you know, we can't we can't you can't minimize that. But you see it also brings the opportunity for life because of Jesus. And it's interesting that when we hear the stories and hear the speculations on Sodom and Gomorrah, we never hear this part of the story. And these, my friends, are Jesus own words this is as Paul Harvey used to say the rest of the story Matthew 11 23 and 24
2: and you Capernaum who will not be exalted to heaven will you you have descended descended to Hades for if the miracles that occurred in Sodom which occurred in you and would have remained to this day nevertheless I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment
1: than for you. So there's several things here, Jonathan. First of all, it says that if the miracles that had occurred in Capernaum occurred in Sodom, Sodom would not have been destroyed.
2: They They would have repented, and they would have turned to God.
1: So you say that, so now you have to ask the question, well then, why would God destroy them if there was a possibility for them to be saved? And the answer is because their destruction is not permanent. So you got to realize that they had the ability within their hearts at that point in time to see goodness. They just didn't. They just couldn't from where they were sitting because Jesus wasn't there. But Jesus himself says that they will have a better time in the day of judgment than than the city of Capernaum. Because
2: they're going to be resurrected, just like the whole world of
1: mankind. So they'll be there. They will have the opportunity for life. So God used fire to destroy them. Yes, he did. Did they know of God? Yes, they did. Did they have personal experience with God and his power? Yes, they did. Were they evil anyway? Yes, they were. And they gone went further and further. And destruction came to them, just like destruction comes to the rest of us. And that example is to show us the great mercy of God in bringing us to resurrection. So, again... We're repeating these same lessons. What can we learn from God's use of power and fire, the power of power and fire as destructive forces?
2: Disobedience by those who absolutely knew better was met with consequences. Rick.
1: Okay, Sodom knew better. They had been defeated. Abram saved them. Melchizedek proclaimed God to be uh, blessing them. Okay, they knew better. Next point.
2: God provided sufficient notice of what would happen.
1: He sent the angels. He, Lot lived among them. They had the opportunity to know righteousness. Fifteen years before, they had the opportunity of righteousness literally save the lives of many of their citizens and save the possessions of many, many more of their citizens. Did they listen? No, they didn't. The last lesson?
2: God's earthly demonstration of sovereignty were dramatic and directed to his earthly people.
1: So Abram... And you know, after the destruction of Sodom, the scripture says that Abram can see the, the, the smoke rising in the distance. He saw the, the results of sin. He saw what sin brings, and whatever sin brings, whenever it brings it, it is never a good thing. So now I realize as, that the world- as, as we wrap this up, Jonathan, what we have to realize is that natural disasters are natural disasters. That's what they are. They're well-named at this point in time. They are not acts of God. God is not arbitrarily throwing things at people to try to get them to repent because his plan is already in place for their repentance. He's already given Jesus. The price has already been paid. Sin just needs to be allowed to finish its destruction so that righteousness can come into play. For everybody in Sodom, everybody who died in Houston, everybody who died in New Orleans, and every other place that you had a natural disaster. God allows those things as he allows all the experiences of our world. But there is much better to come. So for Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, until next week, God does not provoke natural disasters. We'll be back next week. Think about it.